Hey guys uh, and gals, welcome back to the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. I'm Kurt Schilling. This is episode five, and he's Bill Graff. What's up, Bill? How are you, Kurt? I'm good. Nice I'm good. Base- I, I actually watched a real baseball game this morning when I woke up, and it was nice to see baseball back and actually count. Yeah, and and one player in the world is already in midseason form. Uh, and surprise, surprise at who it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no interesting games. Uh, Team USA kicks off with uh, what? Great Britain. Great Britain. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't see them in uh, in the Power Five, the Great Britain club. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about uh, Team USA's <laughs> chances. Um, but no, it's baseball's going now, and <clears throat> you know it's funny. As a uh, as a baseball player, I never, I never, there there never really was an off season. So, um, you know, in baseball, you, every team has their fantasy football league in in the baseball clubhouses and sports and whatnot. And I never, until I retired, I never realized there was actual sports downtime between the Super Bowl and Opening Day, unless you're the odd freak who likes ba- NBA basketball. Uh, uh, but, and then becoming a hockey fan, you know, there is no downtime, but that Super Bowl, uh, Sunday and then opening day, there's, there's a gap and, and it's, it's funny, it's palpable because, and if you remember my last stop in the big leagues was Boston and Boston's season kicked off <laughs> when the equipment truck leaves Boston is the beginning of baseball season up in, in, uh, in new England. So it's exciting. Very exciting. And. It, to me, the interesting thing is going to be not these games that are being played over in Asia, but when the other groups get going. Obviously, Japan is going to be a, a force to be reckoned with, um, but you've got the odds with the Dominican Republic being the odds on at 210, and then the U.S. at number two at 250. And the U.S., to me, the question marks are the pitching staff. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we touched on this briefly as we talk and, and for those of you who don't, Bill and I talk uh, pretty much daily because uh, baseball is played every day um, just to keep up the speed. And, you know, we definitely want to be bringing you the latest uh, as we, as we come to come to air. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see uh, the pools, um, the odds, you know, and, and we do talk about betting on, on, uh, uh, on this show and we will um i i gotta tell you i after this first day i don't sleep on japan and i know they're only plus 275 so they're probably rate third but it's very hard and i mentioned this to you the other day it's very hard to understand this but the players names you're seeing on the rosters in some cases aren't the players you're actually going to see and by that I'm, i don't mean they're going to replace jt romuto with somebody else what i mean is you're seeing uh, early March versions of a lot of these guys, except for this guy in Japan who no one's ever heard of named Otani, who apparently is uh, in August form uh, on the mound and at the plate. Um, it's it's challenge for these guys uh, because the game, spring training games are are different. Bill, as a, as a pitcher, when I go and I start a spring training game, I know I'm going two innings. Um, as a hitter, you know, you're playing in the first five, you're getting two at bats. Um, and there's not that there, there's an uptick in effort and everything from the pitchers and the hitters, but the, it's, it, it's just a different game mentally. This is 
and, and we're going to talk about this, the, the, the biggest fear, and I said it last week, I'm terrified as an organization if any of my pitchers are in this tournament. Uh, obviously, you don't want, you know, I, I think it's um, the Padres are talking about Juan Soto and him getting back and being ready to play in the tournament. Um, I just don't want my pitchers in this game. You, you can't avoid the, the the collision contact injuries. They usually generally are rare in baseball, but the pitching stuff worries me. But uh, yeah, if I'm if I'm gambling, I I I got to tell you, I, I'm very comfortable with Japan at plus two seventy five. Very comfortable. I would I would have those odds probably lower. I think that they're probably ahead of the USA. And I, again, I say that because I haven't seen USA play yet. Their lineup is unbelievable, but. You know, there's uh, there's some questions, and I think your questions around their pitching are legitimate in the sense that the names aren't the same, right? Okay. I mean, this is not. I, I mean, you got Adam Wainwright, who's going to be going. Pardon the expression, balls to the wall, because he's 41 years old. This is the one of the career highlights. I, I you know, I I was on the uh, team that went to Japan in 1998, and uh, I ended up getting hurt uh, after that. Um, that was a max effort. Every game meant the world kind of thing um, that I wasn't expecting or experiencing. And that was after a season of innings. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I think, I think Japan would be the guy, if I was putting money, if I was putting a hundred today or thousand today, I'd put it on Japan. And the thing is, I, I very much agree with you because I think their arms, having seen some of their, their young arms over there, yeah. They come from weird directions and yep. the ball breaks a ton. And in March, hitters seeing that stuff, it's going to be yeah. hard. And that's actually a really good point, Bill, and something I didn't think about. You've got some very unorthodox, especially uh, the Asian teams, the Korean team, uh, uh, the Japanese team. You've got some very uh, unique – I don't know if you remember Byung Young Kim. Um, I played with him in Arizona, and uh, uh, he was in Boston – he was as filthy as anybody I've ever seen. And I know hitters refused to see him in spring training. Our, our own hitters wouldn't get in the cage against <laughs> him. They weren't ready for it. it, it it's just something you have to kind of get used to. Um, and that's actually a really good point. And these guys in Japan, I promise you, are in mid-season form uh, and ready to go. So that's actually kind of a, a different uh, angle I didn't expect. But um, that's an interesting one, too. And and that leads me to the next topic uh, Mark DeRosa is running the American team, and he clearly, if you listen to any of his comments, he's obviously looking at this as the opportunity of a lifetime, and good for him. Um, I mean, this is an exciting thing. And um, he, I read, he, I read <laughs> that DeRosa actually reached out to Coach K. Yes, look for some divine. Yes, and and you know advice. The, the piece, the piece of advice that Coach K gave him was to make. He said, make the 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 players on the team. Uh, understand they're not representing the United States. They are the United States. And you know what, Coach K, damn you. I mean, stop being so much better than everybody else uh, <laughs> with those, you know, that because you can, the depth to that is is immense, right? And, and on the surface, that's like, a, oh, okay. But when you think about that, that's one of those, okay, that that that's the, uh, uh, the 1980 miracle, uh, uh, you know, him coaching that team. Um, oh my Herb God. Brooks. Herb Brooks. That one of the greatest, which by the way, uh, one of the greatest acting performances ever done by Kurt Russell. Um, everything that came out of Herb Brooks's mouth was 
was kind of like on the edge of your seat kind of stuff. And uh, I, I, I found in my life that coaches like that, uh, they generally, you tend to recognize them within 10 seconds of being in the room because of the things that they say and the way that they do. But, but again, speaking on that, DeRosa uh, apparently went to Tim Anderson, who's on the team and said, uh, let me get the quote. I need the bat flip. DeRosa said, you're going to get it. Anderson replied. So basically as I take that uh, and, and Anderson replied when he was asked about it, this was a first definitely, but I think that's the right setting. Uh, we're playing exciting ball. We don't just have uh, one town behind us. We got the whole country. Of course, they want something that's going to get them fired up. Um, okay. As a pitcher, I'm offended, <laughs> but I'm not. Um, yeah, that's fine. And, and you know, I know you were kind of curious on my in, in, about my approach to that. I never threw at a guy for stuff like that. When I threw at a guy and hit a guy, well, let's put it this way. So I hit 50 some guys in my career. I would tell you probably less than 10 were accidental. Um, and the guys that I hit knew they were getting hit and knew they deserved to get hit. And I never got charged. Um, and, and, and I, I use this term loosely now in this day and age, I, I was raised to play the game the right way, the old school way, which was respect the game. And I always did, no matter the venue. Uh, I always had a profound amount of respect for the game and tried to play the game the right way. Um, I got a funny story. So in 1997, I think I made the all-star team in, uh, or 98 and it was in, or 90, it might've been 99 actually. I'm not sure. Anyway, it was in Colorado. And, um, at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I was, uh, come just coming into my own and, and had my first couple, uh, big seasons. And I was asked by the sporting news to interview Bob Gibson at the all-star game uh as a as a writer so to speak and about power pitching and uh, it came on the heels i had struck out 300 uh back-to-back -back years or the year before and and so they wanted me to talk to him so i had a chance to sit down with mr gibson and interview him and uh i think initially he was kind of eh, whatever uh I, but i think once he realized that i was into it. I knew who Mr. Gibson was. I was a, born and raised in the game of baseball. And so I revered this man because of the respect my dad had for him uh, and the respect that Mr. Clemente had for Mr. Gibson too. Clemente was my favorite player. Um, uh, and so I sat down and started talking to him. And I think once he realized I started spitting out his stats and 1.12 ERA and this and that, and three and all in the world series, three complete, you know, I think once he realized that I had an immense amount of respect for him and I knew who he was, he kind of, I, I guess I'll use the term loosened up as much as Bob Gibson could loosen up. Um, but we got to talking and, and I, I brought up the subject and about hitting batters and, you know, he was the guy, everybody, when any, anybody talks about coming inside, they talk about Bob Gibson and Nolan Ryan. And so I said to him, and because I had a unique perspective, I played for Frank Robinson, uh, who was one of the God's good people. One of my favorite people of all time. And Frank, I, 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 I'll make this argument. I still believe he is the most underrated Hall of Famer in the history of the game. I think he is, when you talk about best players ever, he should be in the top three, I think, three or four. Um, anyway, uh, I asked Bob Gibson about Frank Robinson because I think he hit Frank more than he hit almost anybody in his career. And he said, and he was almost offended. He's like, hell no, did I try and hit Frank Robinson? 
And I kind of was taken aback. And he said, you don't understand. Every single time I hit Frank Robinson, he homered off me in the next at bat. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was, it, and, you know, getting to talk uh, to Mr. Gibson about that, he said, I didn't throw inside to uh, to be intimidating or any of that stuff. He said, you, you got to understand, when we played, we had to work in the offseason. The money wasn't like it is today. We had jobs. We We didn't make the money you make today. We were working to put food on the table. And in a true sense, because you always hear that when you're in, when I was younger, you know, that guy's trying to take food off your table. Well, is he really, you're making $32 million this year. Are you really going to go with one less meal? Because he, you know, point being, it was, it was, it was a real thing in the forties, fifties, sixties, and suddenly became less real as salaries grew. But the point was that he pitched in to pitch in. And I learned you need to pitch in to open the outside part of the plate. And if I miss and knock you on your ass, ho hum. The only, the only effective pitches to me, uh, inside, and he and and Mr. Gibson told me this, and I believed it, is if I knock a guy on his ass, if I drill him, or if I break his bat, everything else is meaningless. No, nothing else matters. If I throw a pitch inside and the hitter goes like this, I haven't done anything. To go in, you have to have an effect. And so, and you know, this is a long way from the bat flip conversation, but no, I wouldn't throw at a guy for bat flipping. I I would, I don't think for the most part, uh, like I said, I, I accidentally hit very few players. No one really bat flipped on me because I didn't show people up. And I didn't, uh, uh, and when I struck you out, I, I got the ball back and I went to the next hitter. So, you know, that I, I, that's, that's not to me uh, a, a big thing. I think that's one of those things that I think the media has had, as the media has grown, and Bill, you know this, as you've gotten more, as you got closer in the clubhouse and got more access to players, um, things mytho mythological things grew uh both directions and and i think that that's a, a direct result of the media as much as anything because now when a guy gets knocked down it's on twitter immediately and and everybody's talking about it so absolutely yeah. uh, and, and kurt we can kind of go back to blaming you working for the sporting news and getting inside stuff that nobody ever heard when you interviewed bob gibson for the sporting yeah. news yeah yeah, that was one of the highlights of my life. And I I, uh, I was like that every time I met somebody. I, I'll tell you a real quick story, too. Uh, the only time, and anybody that knows me knows this word generally is never used in my direction. I, the only person that ever made me speechless in my life uh, was Willie Sargent. I was born and raised a Pirate fan. And and in, we were in Pittsburgh, and I had just thrown a shutout against the Pirates. It was early in my career. And I walked into the hotel at, at uh, by Three Rivers. And as I walked in the hotel, this mountain of a man was standing off to the side. I didn't see who it was. And it was Mr. Stargell. And he was pops to me. I mean, the We Are Family, the set, late 70s Pirates. I idolized the Pirates growing up. And I was speechless. Like, I was like, uh, um, Mr. Stargell, it's an honor to meet you. And he was like, well, I, I I would think I'd say the same thing to you, young man, but I'm pretty offended by what you just did to my club out there. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what to say. But uh, no, nah, he was tremendous. legend I, of a man. I, I'll tell you a quick story. The first time ever when I got out of college, I started working in the media. And the most exciting thing that I ever did was – I went to cover the Baltimore Orioles at the old Memorial Stadium. 
and we met guys in the locker room and I walked through the tunnel and up through a dugout and onto a field. And I remember calling my dad that night saying, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life because that's the coolest thing as a fan yeah. I'm ever going to do in my life. And it that's was where awesome. I made, that's actually where I made my major league debut. Really? And yes. And, and I'm very fond memories of that place and those people. Uh, I, I made my debut in Baltimore the year they started at 0 and 21 in 1988. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway, let's uh, let's talk about um, there's a couple couple different topics. We're going to talk about health and players, but excuse me, there's a topic and, and and I this is interesting to me. You've you've had this in a couple rundowns and wanted to talk about it, and I think it's time to talk about uh, the perspectives. Uh, guys in their contract year and guys in opt out years. Um, Otani, who, by the way, baseball is literally restructuring itself to sign Otani next year. He's a free agent after this year. Uh, I would argue that unless Anaheim grossly overpays, and I'm not even sure if then it happens, he's going to test the market. Um, but Shoy Otani is in midseason form. He, he threw against China in the WBC the other day, uh, four innings a hit, five punch outs, two for four. Two walks, two RBIs on the heels of, I think, the day before, a couple days before that, he had two three-run home runs. Um, he is, he's got it going on. But again, that's the guy, if I'm the Angels, I'm terrified. I'm terrified of this guy coming up lame. Uh, and and for baseball, I hope not. And and you mentioned something. So you, so for anybody that doesn't know, I'm going to tell you how this show works in, in a nutshell. Uh, Bill is... Uh, uh, a guy who understands the sport from a fan and, and media perspective in a, in a very unique way. So what Bill will do, we'll compile what he thinks are interesting things to fans uh, and to the media. And he'll send me a, a, a rundown. He does all the work. I just bull and talk, but anyway, he sends me a rundown and gives me stuff. And, and for the most part, everything he sends me we're in. And this was in the rundown last week. And I was like, nah, you know, uh, because of my opinion of it, but he brought it up again this week. And I think it's, to, I think it's a good conversation guys in their contract year. So, so, and, and, and one of the things is if you paid attention, if you're a Dodgers fan, the Dodgers cut salary this year, uh, as hard as it is to believe, uh, uh they cut the salary this year because everybody believes the Dodgers are going to make a run. And I believe that as well. Uh, but you said something in here that blew me away. Shohei Otani led the major leagues with the, his time from home plate to first, averaging 4.06 seconds, guys with over 100 attempts. Let that sink in a little bit. We're talking about a guy probably with as much power as anybody in the game, uh, a power arm who's at the top of the rotation and, and a legit number one ace guy. And now we're going to add maybe the quickest base runner? I I, I knew he was quick. I did, had no idea he was in that category. That just and adds he, another dimension. It adds and, another dimension to it. Like, I, and he really? he runs hard on right. every ball hit down to first. That's the other thing, right? You're gonna you might have some faster guys, but they're clearly not. If anybody remembers Pete Rose, every single at bat of his life that he got to first base, be it a walk or a hit, was at full speed. And I remember people used to make fun of him and stuff like that. My dad always loved it. You know, he plays the game hard. But this is a, a, an indicator of the mental side of Shohei Otani, if you were questioning it. And, and generally, as players, uh, I don't think I ever 
had a question in my mind about Japanese players and their effort because the things that they do to play baseball over there are so drastically different than the things that we do over here. Um, but his time to first, unbelievable. I mean, I think we're possibly looking at another Aaron Judge thing where this guy might go out and win 20 games this year and hit 50 homers and then be on the market. And, and I think what we're going to see is the first 50 plus million dollar a year annual, average annual salary. Uh, I think we'll see that no matter what. And, you know, obviously uh, health is the big thing. But I think you're looking at probably over, over a half billion dollars. And I think that is, wow. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, when you when you think about, we're 50 years from the 1970s when, you remember when the first million dollar contract got signed, it was like, oh my God. Now we're talking about over half a billion dollars which will be probably uh, we'll do the math and get it to you next week. But I believe that will probably be more than the combined payrolls of probably what? 25 teams. At least 20. 20. Yeah. At yeah. least 20. And think, you know, and, and so then now I know I can already hear it. Baseball needs a salary cap. Blah, blah. No, it doesn't. Baseball doesn't need a salary cap. Baseball needs the owners to pool their revenue and share it. One is, is one is way better than the other. So, uh, yeah. So Otani is in a contract here. Uh, Tailscar Hernandez Mar uh, Mariners signed him uh, in the offseason for this year. He's he's a guy that's that's going to be uh, available after the year. I think the Mariners will end up getting him inked uh, if they like what they got. Uh, Matt Chapman in Toronto. Um, he is in a that was a two year deal he signed with Toronto if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And right. And didn't have a great year last year had a good but, year and but that's not a great but that, you know what that's that's a challenge for me because he, he had 27 bombs and drove in 76 runs and we're talking about man you know you could have done better like that, that's a, I, I get it Our, you know because everybody looks at the rbi number not realizing that while rbis are an important statistic they are 100 percent uh attributable to your teammates and being in rbi positions and when you're a lineup and you don't hit in front of, and you hit behind a Guerrero or a Bichette or a Biggio, you're probably going to have fewer opportunities. But yeah, he's uh, he's a guy who I think will get paid. Rice Hopkins in Philly. Um, not only did he have 30 bombs last year, but he also had a really good postseason. So, uh, and I think the Phillies will end up, uh, well, depending, maybe, I don't know if they're in the Otani sweepstakes or not. I doubt it. I don't, it doesn't seem like they would be, but the, uh, uh, the, the 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 ownership family there the Middletons uh could surprise you uh good people so um also uh so the, here's a quick list of three guys these guys are all on option years Cody Bellinger Michael Conforto and Joey Gallo I, I I think Bellinger and Gallo are both just trying to let the game know that they haven't they're not done yet I don't know that that the, the opt-out is a, a a threat to anybody I mean Gallo to me you know I mean, uh, I don't know. He's a modern day in many ways, Dave Kingman. And yeah, for those that's who, a I'm great aging comparison. Myself. Uh, I know I'm aging myself, but I, you know, a guy that does so. So the guy I, I, I think of when I hear Joey Gallo, and and this is not fair in many ways. Adam Dunn was a guy who I played against, and Adam Dunn added the X factor in the sense that Adam Dunn would punch out 200 times a year. He would hit 40 home runs, but he would also draw 130 walks uh, and have an on-base percentage near 400. 
Uh, if Gallo was a 400 on base percentage guy, we wouldn't even be talking about him. He wouldn't have left the Yankees. Right. Um, but the swing and miss stuff is is becoming uh, less and less attractive in many ways, especially with the amount of power arms. Bellinger, I think, is, uh, you know, uh, a couple years removed from a from an all Hall of Fame level season, um, hitting 210 with 19 and 68 last year, uh, 14 stolen bases. I still think he's a double threat. I think he's a guy. I think COVID and him, I think he changed his swing when when uh, during the, the COVID time and the new swing is not working for him. So, well, anyway, he, may, uh, he may have changed it back this year because he hit right. his first home <laughs> run of the spring yesterday. Whatever and it was he, a beautiful swing. Whatever he changed last year, change it back because last year didn't work. So, um, here's a couple things. So, uh, and I say I'm I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek. This is my show, so I get to talk about what I want to talk about. Uh, it's all going to be baseball, but I want to bring your attention as. If you're a hardcore uh, keeper fantasy league type guy that plays and you guys draft minor league guys or guys that are in rookie ball and, and keep them on your rosters, I want you to pay attention to this name. Uh, he's not even old enough to, uh, uh, well, he's not 18 yet. Uh, he, in my opinion, and I, it, he will be uh, drafted in the upper half, if not the top three or four picks in the first round after next year. He's a junior at River Bluff High School in South Carolina. His name's Bo Hollins. He is the son of my former teammate, Dave Hollins, who already has a son playing uh, in the, I believe, the Marlins organization uh, at AAA. And I mentioned his name for this reason. I've been working with Bo on the mound for, for a little bit. Uh, he's six four and a half, about 225, probably has less than 10% body fat, built just like his father, not much taller than his father. He is a left-handed pitcher who works in the in the low 90s now. Uh, and a switch hitting line to line power gold glove caliber already defensive first baseman. And I say all these things in this uh, because I believe in the kid and I know he's got the right mental approach, but this is the closest thing I've ever seen to Otani. Um, he is going to be a legitimate top of the rotation power arm. Uh, he's going to be mentally way ahead of anybody. He, he is uh, drafted along with in, in, uh, after next year, simply because we're preparing him to pitch in professional baseball, not not his senior in high school. Um, he hit four home runs, I think, in the first three games. They played against the number one ranked prospect in the state, uh, and he's the was the number two. Uh, I'm assuming he's number one by now. He hit four home runs, uh, all of them tape measure, two left, two right. Um, complete package, and that's even before we factor in the off-the-field stuff. This kid is is off the charts, smart baseball IQ, phenomenal work ethic, good young man, raised right by his his uh, his parents. Um, the the uh, like I said, Dave was a former teammate of mine, and it's just going to be fun to watch. If you're if you're an amateur baseball fan, check him out. B E A U Hollins, uh, River Bluff, South Carolina. If you get a chance in South Carolina to go see this kid play, he's something special. And I I argue it's like. And, man, and and I know it sounds like I'm putting pressure. This kid's going to be fine. So um, that's that's my rant for this show. Uh, but I wanted to go on and talk about uh, well, Yankees the, pitching staff is next. Yeah, the the we, we talked about this, and Bill, we touched on this. We've touched on it every show. 
if I'm a fan, the only thing I would tell you fans to be concerned with in your spring training uh, with your teams, don't worry about what the position players are hitting. None of that stuff matters. Just pay attention to your pitcher's health. Well, the New York Yankees are finding it out the hard way. Frankie Montas is out. Uh, he had exploratory sh shoulder surgery. And generally what exploratory shoulder surgery means one of two things there, they didn't find anything and recovery time is going to be short or they found way more than they expected. And, and they don't want to tell you that he's out for the year. Now there's an argument to be made. And this is when I played, I, I, I figured this out. If, if you, if you tell a, a guy, a tell a, a team or a guy, you know, you have a torn rotator cuff, blah, blah, blah. That's 18 months. Now, if you go in there and find out his rotator cuff isn't torn, and you just clean it up, the news is uh, he had successful rotator cuff surgery. Well, he actually didn't have rotator cuff surgery. He comes back in a year, and everybody's like, wow, that doctor was amazing. Well, the, yeah, but no. And and I only say that for this reason. It Things may have changed, and I'm sure they might in some circles they did. When I was playing, the, the medical staff in Major League Baseball on all the teams was a very close-knit group. They didn't throw anybody under the bus. You got recommended inside the circle. Go see Dr. Alchek. Go see Dr. Job. They never recommended you outside the circle because if you did something wrong, they took care of each other. And, you, you know, people, I'm sure people are going to scream and yell, but they're full of crap because I saw it happen. And I was a victim almost of it because I was misdiagnosed with a torn rotator cuff that I didn't have. And uh, had I not gone outside the circle and seen a gentleman named Craig Morgan, Dr. Craig Morgan in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, I would have, my career would have been over in 1995 and said, I got to pitch like 3000 more innings because I went to the right guy. Anyway, the long, the reason I'm saying that is because of the Montas stuff, but also this, uh, you know, relievers, Tommy, I, I believe it's, is it Con, how do you Conley. pronounce Conley? Conley, Conley yeah. and Trevino, uh, relievers are going to start the season on the IL. Uh, but quick news, uh, Carlos Radone is going to the IL. Uh, and that is a problem. First of all, if you think about this, it's early March. There's no reason to put a guy in the IL unless you need, generally what you do is you put, you wouldn't put him on the IL. And if he was going to miss the opening day of the season, you would retroactively put him on the IL on opening day. So you could count all the days he hadn't since he last played. They're they're putting him on the IL. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, he's going in the IL, and they're saying he's shut down for seven to ten days because of forearm stiffness. Correct. This is one of two things. He either has some forearm stiffness, and you know he's going to work through it, but he's not going to throw for seven to ten days, or there's an there's a, a, a extra extraneous issue. You're looking at a guy who had Tommy John. He's got a he's got a lengthy history of of issues. Um. Which and I hope I hope this is not true, but it leads me to believe that this he's got an elbow issue. Um, to be clear, I would put long hard money on the fact he will not open the season with the Yankees. He will not be in the rotation. He will not be the second guy pitching after Garrett Cole, um, because you just have to do the math. And I've told you this: DL, the IL math is very different than what you're told. If he shuts down for seven to ten days, that means he's not picking up a ball. That is, uh, uh, it's troubling for pitchers. He Now in 10 days, he's got to pick up a ball and get back into his throwing program. Seven to 10 days is going to be right around the 20th, which is, I think, 10 days before opening day. There's no chance, none.
because he won't have spring training innings. He won't have any anything under his belt from a work perspective. So what he'll probably do is stay behind uh, the, the team and work spring training games and then maybe go to a minor league team for a start or two. Or if he travels with the team, that's a good sign because that what that means is that they believe he'll be able to batting practice and simulated game his way back into game shape, which I don't believe anybody is capable of doing. But if they do that, they go that route, that's fine too. But this is a big red flag if I'm a Yankee fan, and it would worry me a little bit um, because seven to 10 days is just like the, the old liberal media using uh, anonymous teammate. It's bullshit. Well, so. and now now their starting rotation is thin because they go Cole and Nestor Cort- Cortez, who got pulled from the WBC because of hamstring tightness. Right. But he should be okay. Yep. And and then on the back end, it's Luis Servino and Domingo Herman and a guy who wasn't scheduled to be in the rotation who's going to get brought up. Yeah. Yeah, so so once again, to be very clear, when someone says you can never have enough pitching, believe them, all right? I don't care if you go to spring training with seven starters. You never hit the roster on opening day with with more than five healthy ones. And, and it, it gets back to something we were talking about, excuse me, uh, on the last show. Your team, if your team's a true World Series contender, your pitching staff is probably around 15 deep. 15 major league arms because you have to break camp with two or three arms at triple a uh, because, you know, I, I think it happened maybe twice in my career. And I've always said, if you want to bet uh, a baseball bet on the team, you believe is going to get the most starting innings out of their starting pitchers, because to me, and, and it's changing now because of the opener and closer, the, the opening, the, the starting rotation in 1993 with the Phillies, we made every single start. In 2004, we made every single start except the end when there was an, you know, just a no, no help problem. The, the, the team whose rotation gives them the most innings generally ends up at the top of the division. And uh, although I do love the Yankees, you can't not love their lineup. Garrett Cole will be ready. Um, you know, he, what is it? He had seven punch outs in three innings, three yeah. and a third. He hit almost at hit- 99. Yeah, he's ready. I, I, I'm not. Velocity is absolutely irrelevant to me at this time in the spring. I'd rather see 96, knowing that he's still because that's a guy who can pace himself. In spring training, you have to be able to to get through these games and work your way up to that max effort stuff. Um, on the Texas front, Degrom, who everybody's watching, uh, it's funny. I, I I read this and I was concerned. One of the reasons why Jacob deGrom will always be on the cusp of of the physical health uh, ledge um, is he's a max effort guy. And by that, I mean every pitch he throws is with every ounce of effort he has. And that it's very hard for those guys to stay consistently healthy. And you can just tell by looking at their mechanics and all the other things. And And that's why, Bill, this note that you sent me, the, the, the number that jumped out at me isn't the number you probably think. He threw a BP session uh, last Wednesday. Uh, or yes, yeah, two days ago, yeah. Wednesday. And he threw 35 pitches. That's great. Uh, he was 98 to 99 on the gun. One of two things. The team 
lied to him because they just want him to not worry about his velocity, or he was 98-99 on the gun in the bullpen. I don't know of a bullpen in my and, I, and again I'm I'm just using personal experience and and uh, from talking to really good pitchers I don't know of a bullpen in my life that I would have hit 92 or 93 or 95 ever because the bullpen is my sparring ring the bullpen is my batting cage it's where I'm working on stuff and feel and stuff and so if I can if I can work on my craft and not give maximum effort. And do it at 80. That's that's how you learn. For me, that's that's how I was always a field guy to learn. And that was how I learned. That that and again, this could be nothing, but but that velocity thing bothers me a little bit uh from that perspective. I think it's gonna be very hard. And and I again I'm not real I love this guy. I want to see him pitch, but I'm not I'm having a lot of trouble seeing him post 30 times this year. I really am. I I I would uh, I, you know over under from a starch perspective, if I was betting, 20 would be my number. Um, and I, I know think Texas would be happy with 20, which is considering the amount of money they paid him. And that's stunning to me. Yeah. Right. That's stunning to me. But when he's healthy, he is probably one of the best pitchers in the hit. Well, he is, he can put up some of the best numbers they've ever put. Uh, you, you heard me talk about this guy and Oriole fans. I think are going to love this podcast all year. I love the Baltimore Orioles and everything that they're doing as an organization. I think they have the most immensely talented, uh, young roster in the game uh, and a guy who wasn't on, and you heard my early season uh, rookie of the year picks. He wasn't listed in many uh, bets, but I would, I would put money on him. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez threw 55 pitches the other day uh, on Tuesday of this week. I went two and two thirds, um, 97 to 99 with the fastball. Again, uh, those are the, those are interested fans numbers more than I'm looking at balls to strikes number one and uh, walks and hits. I want to see how he's commanding the strike zone. Cause, cause young pitchers are treating spring training games like regular season games. They're trying to make the team. It's a very different mentality. And I'm not saying the other older pitchers, like a, a, a great example, Corbin Burns. Um, he's thrown two out. He's made two starts. He's gone five and a third struck out two, walk two, six, seven. Don't care. Don't care. If I'm Milwaukee fan, the only thing I care about is that Corbin Burns is ready to go opening day. Now, if his velocity is five to eight miles an hour off, yeah, I'm worried or I would be concerned. But but don't again, your guys like that Verlander, Scherzer, Kershaw, none of none of those. Don't worry about any of those guys other than let them be healthy during the season, because those are the guys at the end of the year. The numbers will be what you thought they would be in February. It may take them longer to get there. They may have a rough April, but they'll be there. Those guys that, that you just that's just going to happen. So, um, and then, hey, Bill, let's uh, let's close out this week with uh, let's do questions again. And that was fun last week. You got it. You got it. So, so I'm going to skip the first one, but I'm going to go to the second one. And Shane W asks, how would pitchers from the past, like Whitey Ford, Warren Spahn, Bob Feller, etc., do against present day hitters? I'm not um, sure how we came up with those three, but yeah. So let me let me just tell fans <clears throat> that are that don't know me. Um, anytime people talk about the best and the worst of all time in baseball, there there are two eras. There's pre-integration and post-integration. I don't compare players across the eras because the best players in the world pre-integration, white players never faced African American players, never faced Latino players, never faced 
any players other than white players. They didn't face an Otani or a Bonds or any of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. People say, well, the game, there were fewer teams and better, but I don't care. The fact that Josh Gibson and Satchel Page and, you know, uh, uh, all of the great black players of the 30s, 40s, and 50s uh, had to didn't get to compete against white players is, is a strike against them, as it is for the same when you talk about the greatest black players that ever lived. Um, Post-integration, it took a couple of years, obviously, and still, you know, but that to me is where I start. If you're going to talk about best in the world, talk about pre and post because you can't, I don't think you can compare the two. I know people will say, oh my God, no, Ted Williams was the greatest hit ever. Oh, that's fine. I mean, I, I you can make that argument, sure. Um, but uh, I don't know. The game has changed. You're not going to convince me that baseball is the only sport where athletes didn't get bigger, better, and stronger. A, a, a punter in the NFL would have been a defensive lineman in 1930. Um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal would have averaged 94 points a game in 1930 in the NBA. Uh, uh, Lemieux, Gretzky. Uh, well, I don't know about hockey. Uh, if you take their helmets off and take the goalie masks off maybe it is the same sport but but baseball you're not going to convince me that you know okay bob feller threw in the 90s uh that's fine um but that's a that's a middle reliever nowadays uh that was exception and you can look at their mechanics and understand in many cases that they didn't throw as hard then as they do now um and generally men were bigger are bigger now than they were then i mean you know randy johnson is one of a billion because he's the only one that's ever been that tall. Uh, although this year you're going to see some six foot seven plus guys come up uh, and do something. But I, I don't know that they would, I, I think they would do fine against today's hitters. Um, could, because you have to assume that if they came into today's era, they would have all the tools and equipment to, to pitch with that they did back then. Um, and that, you know, that's the same argument to be made for hitters. You know, Mickey Mantle is one guy who talks about the fact that he pissed away his career. And that's unfortunate and sad he did it. But guys are still doing that today. I think a lot fewer. But, you know, I think they would have done fine, just like I think hitters would do fine going back. Um, you know, but but and here's the other thing, Bill, by the way, I don't know. Uh, I've held the bat and I've hit in the big leagues. Babe Ruth used, I believe, something like a 40 ounce bat or a 50 ounce bat. That's not possible today it's not possible so the game has changed in many ways dramatically you couldn't you couldn't swing a 50 ounce bat today guys the the biggest you'll see today you may see a 35 36 37 ounce that's that's absurdly heavy but 50 ounce bats no didn't happen wouldn't happen couldn't happen you couldn't you couldn't face the guys today now they would adjust and use different bats but i don't know what that would look like i don't know what that would look like so that's my take on that one. I'll tell you one thing. One guy we talked about earlier who I think could pitch today, Bob Gibson. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and if you look at when Bob pitched, you know, he he was when integration became the norm, right? Uh, you had Gibson, you had Fergie Jenkins, you had – and Hank Aaron, uh, you know, uh, guys like that around <clears> – <throat> yes, yes. And, 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 and so you go back to then and think, okay, in the 60s if they were there – then they probably were there in the fifties and they might've probably been there in the fourth. I mean, I don't know when, when pitching got to the level it is from a velocity and consistency standpoint, but it wasn't 1920. 
because when you have guys throwing 350 to 400 innings, they're throwing in a different game. And let me also add two things. I remember Whitey Ashburn, Richie Ashburn, telling me that in the old uh, state, was it uh, Shy Park in Philly? Um, or no. Yeah. Was it Shy? What's the old Philadelphia Stadium? Not Veterans? The not no, the, not before the vet. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed that I forgot that. But he told me that at the end of batting practice for every home game, they took the batting cage and they put it in deep center field. What, why would you do that? Well, because deep center field was not really in play. They were those were the stadiums they were pitching in. Number one and number two, they were pitching with. I'm exaggerating, but a Nerf ball. The ball was soft back then much softer than it is today um i mean you're looking at like you know those those hand grip balls the heavy weighted ones like probably a little bit more firm than that to the cue balls that are that are being used today so the ballparks were dramatically different uh and the ball was dramatically different too but but the one thing and they've messed with the the ballpark and the ball but it's funny because the one thing that was perfect then was the 90 feet, 60 feet, six inches of the of the infield. And now, in many ways, they're trying to change that. Bigger bases, uh, you know, limiting throws, so almost shrinking the baselines and things like that. So, hey, and the other thing is, too, Bill, next week on Tuesday, we're going to come back. We're going to try and find the successful stolen base percentage in spring training and see if that number's trending. Uh, because... I do know the number of attempts are up. Yes. As so you would I, expect. I, but I don't know the success rate, but I will do that research. Yep. Yep. We'll figure that out because I want to, you know, unlike other shows, I want to follow along. I want to actually hold ourselves accountable to the picks and decisions and things we talked about and see if Grayson Rodriguez gets rookie of the year votes or anything. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I've never, I always go back and look at guys like Keith Law, who tries to tell everybody what every prospect and who every prospect is. And then I go back and look at his past and like, he's no better than most people. I mean, Oh, wow. He predicted that, that Chipper Jones would be a superstar. Whew, what a reach yeah. or Alex Rodriguez would be, you know, I mean, come on, everybody knows, but it's, it's the, you know, the sleepers, that's the guys you, I want to, I want to follow and we'll follow that during the year. So. Wow. Really good show, Kurt. <laughs> Thank I, you. Uh, and well, uh, really we're going to shoot to have a guest uh, or two next week. If we can, uh, I know I want to get my, I want to get Dave Hollins on the phone uh are on the show i want to get i know tito terry francona buck showalter uh one of my couple of my former teammates doug mirabelli uh david ortiz i'm going to get them to, to, and i might bring uh the savant known as kevin millar um on the show just so you guys can hear him speak live and understand what you're dealing with um from a from a mensa comparison i guess an <laughs> outkick Dot com we call kevin millar gold because he's yeah. a content machine because yes. he'll say anything yeah and that's honestly you know it's funny because that's what i was known as in philly i was i was their favorite person because i would fill up notebooks um uh just ramp as you can tell by my show just ranting and rambling um because i'm very passionate about the sport but uh speaking of go to outkick.com uh up in the you'll see a link to the kurt Schilling baseball show uh, up in the right, up in the top corner of the, of the page, if you don't see a link, you click on shows, you'll find um, my show, Dan Kakich's show, uh, 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 360's show, all the shows, different shows that and podcasts on, on OutKick. 
some really cool stuff. This website and this group is going to be growing over the next couple of years. And, and hopefully you are going to jump on uh, the bandwagon early and stay along for the ride because we, we're, we're going to be something special. So outkick.com, Bill, uh, have a phenomenal weekend. And uh, I will talk to you next week, buddy. Take care, Kurt.